Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Dolby Cinema at AMC. Combining the most powerful sound and vision technologies with reserved seating and recliners, Dolby Cinema at AMC delivers a new and unforgettable movie-going experience. Equipped with Dolby Vision laser projection, discover movies as they are intended to be seen with amazing contrast, brightness, and colors never seen before on the big screen. Anthony Russo, co-director of Captain America Civil War, says, The image quality is stunning. It's almost like a new experience in the movie theater. It really lights you up in a fresh way. Dolby Cinema at AMC is also equipped with Dolby Atmos Sound, which makes the soundtrack flow all around you with amazing richness and depth. Discover the future of cinema this weekend with Marvel's Captain America Civil War, now playing in select Dolby Cinemas at AMC. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief Film Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large out in Los Angeles, although she's about to join me in New York briefly before we both poured over to the Cannes Film Festival. This is the last time we'll be recording before we take that big plunge into the biggest, craziest, most glamorous film festival of the year, and yet... There's still other stuff going on in movie land. Captain America Civil War is about to open as is a, a totally different kind of movie, a bigger splash. And I think it's a testament to just how complex the ecosystem of the film industry is that in one sentence you can talk about Can and Captain America. And maybe there is some through line there. The, these aren't totally distinct worlds, wouldn't you say? Well, obviously, um, a bigger splash is is, an, is a sophisticated European um, movie from a, an Italian filmmaker, Luca Guadino, who made uh, I Am Love with the great Tilda Swinton, and she's in this silent with Ray Fiennes, and and uh, who's amazing in it as her ex-husband, and uh, and with um, the sexy Matthias Schoenarts and and Dakota Johnson. So it's all very uh, luscious and and sophisticated. And then in its own way, Captain America: Civil War is maybe the best reviewed Marvel Universe movie. It represents what's working in Hollywood. It represents the success of the Disney juggernaut which is chugging along at the box office with three seven hundred million dollar movies since uh star wars that's the first the second is zootopia which is already past 900 and this is the third and And so that contrast actually i mean but that contrast really speaks to also what we'll see at can which is on the one hand some highbrow art house oriented films and and things that are designed for different kinds of sensibilities of of varying audience levels and then bigger Hollywood movies, very star-driven kinds of products. So just in in those two releases, you can see that spectrum of of what movies are out today that Cannes is really going to highlight for us on a daily basis. And well, think- what's interesting about that, too, is is that Jeffrey Katzenberg is going to be in Cannes with um, an animated feature from DreamWorks Animation called Trolls. They showed some footage of this musical with um, voice talent uh, like, uh, you know, 
Anna Kendrick and uh, you know uh, is in it but yeah it's going to be uh it looks it looks really good and on the strength of how good it looks and as well as some recent hits Jeffrey Katzenberg just sold Dreamworks Animation to Universal which is experiencing Disney envy you know in other words this this the 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 Marvel the Lucasfilm the Pixar these labels that are churning out these huge franchise titles, uh, you know, Finding Dory is coming up or whatever, you know, so that's what they want at Universal, and they're buying DreamWorks Animation. I think there's life left in some of the Shrek movies and Train Your Dragons and, and Kung Fu Pandas and so on, and, and they're going to put it under this illumination banner that's run by Chris Melodandry, and and Katzenberg will, will walk into the sunset, you know, with $41 million in his pocket. Well, he'll walk onto a yacht at Cannes. But I feel like we got into all this stuff last week to a large degree. One of the things that I think is worth talking about it from a bigger picture perspective is that this is this is one of several big companies that are going to the festival this year and are going to be trying to leave an impact in a way that sends a message to the whole international film world that, you know, they're at the top of their game. And we've talked in the past about how Amazon is going to have a big presence at the festival this year. There's a couple of other big players. What do you see? I'm sort of curious as as the the benefit of big companies going to this festival that's also, by the way, showing movies from Romania, from the Far East, from uh, India, although not as many as some people would like to see in Latin America. Right. The, the thing about Cannes is that it's bifurcated. It has, you know, the 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 official selection, you know, uh, the the auteurs, you know, the Jim Jarmishes and the Olivier Assayas and and you know the Nicholas Winding Refn and you know all of these people. Uh, you know, some of them hoity-toity, some of them perfectly uh, willing to be outrageous, like Refn, who's hilarious. I interviewed him. I cannot wait to run run that interview. Um, and then, you know, Pedro Almodovar, you know. The who's outrageously who's, hoity-toity. Always, always outrageous and never hoity-toity. Never oh, hoity-toity. come now. He's a really lovely man. But anyway, you have you have that, and as you say. But, but there's a market, and there's acquisitions executives, and there's people putting all of these crazy projects together with people who have foreign sales credibility, you know, people like Aaron, you know. Jason Statham and Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> yeah. They'll be hanging People out on can, yachts too. Yeah. Every they're, they're all just hanging out on yachts. Out. They're all hanging out on yachts, and we're getting invited to to the odd you know beach party for the most part. Um, but, you know, there's film festivals, there's programmers, there's people trying to put projects together. And in a buyer's market, um, excuse me, in a seller's market, it's a seller's market, not a buyer's market. Um, uh, you know, people like Harvey Weinstein have to get a tribute to Robert De Niro to get their uh, hands of stone uh, shown that can. Well, know? let's talk they- about that really quickly, though. What does it mean when we say it's a seller's market? I think a lot of people don't totally understand what that distinction is or why they should even care, but it does have a real impact on how movies get out there beyond the insular world that can represents. Well, there was a time, you know, where you would read stories about Harvey, you know, getting into a scuffle, you know, at, at Sundance. Harvey, no. You know, over, <laughs> over a, uh, you know, movie that, that everybody wanted to buy and, you know, putting down big money on That's the myth, and, the mythology. You know, 
Well, it's it was real. I mean, it happened. Yeah. It happened. It's not an apocalypse. It's not an apocryphal story. But but the the truth is, you know, there was a time where you you waited. You did not, uh, you know, you waited to see what what if you were an acquisitions executive from a, a a company, a distribution company, you didn't want to take any chances. And I always was horrified at the degree to which people would be willing to wait and see how something played before they would buy it, even if the elements were super good uh, and everybody knew it was a great script and a great director and great actors. And, you know, I remember, for example, something like Little Miss Sunshine, you know, they waited. Fox Searchlight waited and paid way more money for it. But they wanted to be sure to see how the critics responded. Well, now they none of these companies can afford to wait they have to get into these uh, movies earlier because there are too many buyers and too f- few good movies. That, that's, that, that means that it's a seller's market, and that means that it's harder for the buyers to get the good projects that they want. Everybody wants the same thing. They want this magical, commercial, yet different, yet familiar, yet fresh. They all use the same words, you know, fresh take on something familiar that audiences can identify that they can relate to you know it's very hard to find those and so a lot of people are getting involved now in making them themselves that's what the weinstein co is doing now well what's what's fascinating about that too is is just this idea of using can as a platform rather than some sort of you know uh, arena for searching for a needle in the haystack essentially it's it, it's less well, of a risk there will still be some people trawling they will be trawling the markets and they will be trawling the the odd odd you know screenings of movies that people really don't know anything about but the, the it, most of the movies with a real profile have been bought they are already taken and they were taken before the can announcement took place and and e- e- even you know sony or you know they, or, or Amazon or any of these, you know, they're already there. Uh, A24, uh, uh, you know, uh, IFC, they're all in there already. The Sean Penn movie is still for sale. That's, the Last that's, Face. That's, that's the big American one that movie. they have to wait for. Yep. 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 Where, there, whereas there, there, are there are others, others, but there are small things that small companies will be looking for, and you can't negate the value of the market for those kinds of people. I mean, Synetic just created an international sales division. They'll have somebody out there looking at smaller films and sort of peddling those to the people who can actually look into the VOD marketplace or to the possibility of some edgier foreign titles. So all of that's happening, too, even if it's not having that bigger impact. You know, what's going to happen to Pablo Lorraine's Neruda? Which is at Director's Fortnight, starring Gael Garcia Bernal. Is it going to be it's a one of the huge ones sale? I'm looking forward to the most? Or even Paul Schrader's Doggy Dog, which is a Nicolas Cage movie, closing that section. And there's all kinds of different things that are sort of question marks. I mean, do they have big commercial potential? No. Do they have some kind of commercial potential beyond can? Almost certainly, if you really break down the way that these different kinds of things get out there. But we should circle back to Weinstein because. In, in this particular instance, having that De Niro uh, tribute is a really specific platform for that movie and also something of an amusing throwdown with another movie that Open Road is going to be releasing this fall. 
Right. So basically, we've been sort of aware that there are these two dueling fighter pictures. You know, one of them is Roberto Duran, played by Edgar Martinez, you know, the Panamanian fighter played by the Venezuelan movie star. And, and you know, in his corner is Robert De Niro, you know, of Raging Bull fame. And then in the other movie in the other corner is Open Road, which, of course, won the Oscar last year with Spotlight, which is choosing a... Uh, is going out with this Miles Teller movie uh, that is um, really uh, based... It's an interesting situation because it's based on a story about a, a fighter who had had been demolished in a, in a in a car accident and fought his way back um to Vinny Pacenzio fought his way back to to uh the ring and and in his corner are Kieran Hines you know and uh who's the other one who's with him Miles in Teller. that one Miles Teller no 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 the the coach oh yeah the coach his, his coach we just have to look it up because uh, my brain is. is That's on, what happens is in award season. It, these movies that sort of come out of nowhere because we're focused on other things, and then after six months or so, we've been repeating their names so oh, much. Oh, it's Aaron Eckhart. Okay. Aaron Eckhart that is guy. his coach. <laughs> so his coach, and he looks great. He's like bald, and he's he looks like a, he's doing a character role, which is great. Um, so basically. Uh, the, the the one that's in Cannes from Harvey Weinstein, who is not doing a show and tell this year at all, which he I, usually does. He usually does, right? Yeah, he's it, that movie is summer. So is Tulip Fever, which Alicia Vikander. So uh, you know, there's there's three summer movies going out that might have been. Uh, you know, uh, the other one is the Michael uh, Keaton movie about the founder of McDonald's, the, called The Founder. They all looked like Oscar contenders on paper, but he's put them putting them out in the summer for maximum box office return. If they do well, if they're great, then he can deal with with the Oscars later. In 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 the case of Open Road, they're taking uh, the it's called uh, Bleed. And then, um, and but they're going in November, which is when uh, Oscars uh, are made. So they're going to go for the expensive full. You know, they spent a lot of money getting Spotlight to where it needed to go, but it delivered. It made like forty-five million dollars domestic and forty-five million overseas, and that's a big number for a movie like Spotlight because it won the Oscar. So they're flush with victory and are going for it again. But you almost wonder if this just makes Harvey stronger or at least more ready for that kind of battle. I mean, pushing the the De Niro tribute. Oh, God, another De Niro tribute. Like, yeah, he's great. He's really good in boxing movies all the time. But, I I mean, he was the president of the jury, what, like three years ago? I mean, it just feels like an also-ran with such a calculation behind it. Plus, this movie was not programmed in competition at the festival, and maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe it was conscious or maybe... On the part of the festival, they didn't see it as "quote unquote" a competition title. Maybe they've done more this to with it. Harvey before, where they they give him something off, you know, off the official selection. They just give him something on the side. Right, they're giving he, it to him. But he they, was if supposed they, to show Southpaw last year. Remember that? And then he didn't do we, it. We, we he was going to show it to the press as a private preview, but it was not part of the festival. They chose not right. to show. And when we saw it. It was pretty obvious that this was not a movie that would have gone over well as part of the festival. It just no. wasn't. 
And, and so this has the same feel to it. And then they opened Southpaw in August. They actually did a lot of business with it. It was very successful. Just but not it wasn't a good movie. an Oscar movie. It wasn't no, a good it didn't movie. get good enough reviews. Yeah. Totally not. So he's 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 obviously obviously he's learned that it's better to make the money and his investors are telling him this too. I mean, remember that he's an animal who loves Oscars. That's his DNA. That's Harvey. He makes these movies hoping they're going to be Oscar contenders, and then when they don't pan out, he puts them out in the summer. <laughs> so that so that sort of taints the whole idea of this being a movie at Cannes. I mean, maybe maybe lowering expectations in that respect will work in their favor. But if they have two boxing movie duds two years in a row. I mean, that doesn't bode well for a company. A Southpaw lot of people... Are... wasn't a dud. It made money. It made money. But this is that's also a branding they, question, right? That's what they right? care about now. Well, but They care did... about making money. They can't afford to spend a lot but, of money But you just said that he's a creature contender. of Oscar. And this is, that he is. This that is that not, not Harvey's Oscar. way. This right. is, uh, this, these are the people who run... These are the the backers of, of Weinstein Co. and and the new you know it's it, it's the people who are running the show here. Harvey isn't necessarily in charge of, of of all the. He has to abide by certain numbers. He has to abide by certain expectations. Like anybody else, he has to meet his numbers. So he's making those decisions with that in mind. So coming back to, on the numbers question, I think we should also discuss Captain America from the box office perspective because there, there is something that I think is really fascinating about sort of how a company like Weinstein is banking on certain sorts of films, whereas a company like Disney, which used to own Miramax, is on a roll, and yet they don't have to worry about these sort of questions. They don't even have to worry about having a big presence at Cannes. I mean, no, they don't. Captain America is already making bank overseas and is about to pop. You know here, what? So. Marvel doesn't care about the Oscars at all. Marvel does not. Well, how are you going to get an Oscar nomination for a superhero movie? To I mean, promote I, for the Oscars. No, if you want to get VFX, VFX or below the line, yeah, or something like that, you 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 can do. You know, you can present at the, uh, you know, for the VFX uh, Bake Off. But you're not you're not going to be. Um, you know, they don't care. That's not what they're interested in. And yet you have something like uh, Captain America just really taking off in, in its own kind of way. I mean, it's just... It's going to be huge this weekend. It's going to be like a $200 million weekend. It's going to be on the level of... Can I just say, this really Age bums of Ultron. me out. It really bums me out. I didn't like this movie that much. I, I didn't either. I, I was sort of surprised. I mean, I, I know Marvel is really crafty in terms of how they generate buzz. I was sort of surprised even by those... Uh, knowing those approaches, that there was so much support from this for this movie after its initial wave of press out of the press junket and so forth. I mean, I found it to be really messy and much in the same way that the last Avengers movie was. Sure, the effects are amazing, and, and there's something almost overwhelmingly impressive about so many different characters with so many different powers and mandates, so many different kinds of special effects, doing all this stuff all at once. But I had a hard time just sort of following the line of action, finding any kind of emotional through line. I think if you're familiar with the marketing for this movie, and it's hard not to be because it's ubiquitous, you kind of get the point. And so there's something that kind of just bums me out about, you know, people feel like on some level 
that this movie validates what they want to see, which is just all of these superheroes running around, and that just makes bank, and that reinforces the idea that that's all they need to be. And what was so exciting to me about Joss Whedon's first Avengers movie was that it was so entertaining and so cleanly assembled that it validated the idea of a movie like this on the level of, of its artistic merit in addition to its commercial prospects. But and, he's also someone who is very smart as a writer and very attuned to creating the characters and figuring out how the characters would behave in these situations and letting you hang on to them. And and I believe that that was the strength of that movie, and they built up to it. They built up to it with each of the Phase 1 introductory uh, superhero myths, you know, origin myths coming back. And then now they're in this Phase 2, and now this is Phase 3, Phase three, and I I wonder because think about it, it, the Superman versus Batman was was basically about superhero skill sets, you know, two superheroes you you presumably care about fighting each other, and and you know, to it makes you unhappy to watch it, you know, to to see them do that. Yeah, I never there's liked no it. nuance to that. I mean, the problem is. I, I love. I actually love the idea of dividing your allegiances. I mean, what was so great about watching Walter White become a villain in Breaking Bad is that you kind of understood where he was coming from, and yet knew, in an objective sense, that he was he was wrong. And that's the essential nature of this conflict. It's just it's buried by the kind of the heft of the overall endeavor. And that's something that I feel like is just smothering whatever you want to call this, the golden age of superhero movies or whatever. I mean, they, even when they're making money, they, they seem like they're getting further and further from the greatness that we saw glimmers of with a couple of different movies. And of Don't course, get me wrong. This movie's going to be huge. It's going to be an enormous movie. You're, everything you're saying uh, in terms of validating what these movies are is, is going to be true. What's interesting about... Um, this interview that uh, Bill Desowitz did with the Russo brothers, is who directed, is is that they see a, a kind of zeitgeisty um, questioning of authority. Uh, you know, the idea of turning heroes into antiheroes, of 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 playing around with loyalty and and blanket assumptions about about who people are. Yeah. You know, so that someone like. Tony Stark suddenly you're you're rooting against him or you're you're rooting you know Captain America turns dark in some way that you didn't expect Captain America to do I mean if you're I think you really have to be <laughs> guy to care about any of this I mean I, I find it mind numbing Yeah and and the the woman-centric storyline of Scarlett Johansson is completely sidelined by other random things. Like, let's throw Spider-Man in the mix, which everybody was really excited about. And I have to say, I like the Queen's accent. I liked him. It feels a little tacked on. I mean, it's it's almost like... He's a good actor, though. That guy's a good actor, and I look forward to whatever they do. Well, yeah, but essentially all it felt like to me was they copy and pasted some scenes from a movie you haven't seen yet. As a trailer That's right. for the next That's one. That's exactly what they're doing. That's you're completely correct. That is the role that Spider-Man is playing. He's marketing Amy Pascal's new Spider-Man movie, and that's and just this lame. Is all a big marketing push. I just don't and, like this side of, of film culture. What can I tell you? I, I'm. I, that's what people a, do who are smart. We at IndieWire have tricks in the in, in terms of making sure that certain stories get good SEO and and people can get read the headline and know what it. You know, we have our tricks too in terms of marketing. Our 
our stories. Yeah, it's but that marketing thing. to me is is what I would consider a, an advocacy for a certain sensibility that we believe in. Whereas I think what we're talking about here is quality getting sidelined by people who don't care about it in the first place. They just want to see sort of the fantasy of these different characters doing whatever they, they do. And that's what this movie epitomizes to me. There's something really troubling about it. I mean, this week... One of, there's a great restoration of, of Godard's Band of Outsiders coming out, you know, and like to me, that kind of movie is 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 from such a different universe, but it gets smaller and smaller the more that these movies get more powerful, and and that they very. I disagree. Idea. I don't think it gets smaller. I think this movie lives on and is a great example of of a movie that everybody we know should go see because it's so great. And it's so fun, and it's so anarchic, and it's so improv- improvisational. I, I interviewed Anna Karina. She was here at the TCM uh, Classic Film Festival. That just she's sounds so surreal. Cool. She was so cool. And we sat in front of a window with natural light on her face. You know, that's what Godard did. And Raoul Coutard shot with natural light, with natural sounds, with natural quotidian locations. And they went, every day they got up in the morning and they ran through Paris and they ran through the suburbs and they ran through these different locations, the, the Louvre, or where they did a dance scene that they rehearsed for. And, and he was in love with her and she was in love with him. And they did all, I argue his best movies were with her. Well, that was sort of uh, the, that early Godard period, which also happens to be his Anna Karina period, is the one where he was most interested in using plot to make kind of fun new wave movies as opposed to as his worldview shifted in the next decade and, and beyond to, to more to not just more experimental approaches, but also, I think, much more cynical uh, ways of looking at society like Weekend. And- for example. His, his movies became less... Well, I love Weekend, and it's I great love movie. two or three but it, things. But it's a I savage, I mean, savage way of looking at the world. That she was in, still, sure. and Made uh, in USA. I love all these movies. I think they're great, but later on, I would say post... I mean, her last movie with him was Made in USA, right. so I'd, I'd be curious to see, you know, how many people have seen too many of the movies after that, that, that you know, this, you're right, this first batch, starting with Breathless, um, you know, that she was supposed to do, and she couldn't do it because her, she, she wouldn't do a, a nude scene um, in a small part, and then he comes back and offers her a lead role, and she had to get her mother to come down and give her permission. Yeah, I mean, I I love those movies. I like a lot of the later ones, too, because I think Godard's sensibility translates into all these different modes. And I also am fascinated by his evolution as an artist. You know, he basically expunged the whole idea of plot from his filmmaking with that, that first decade and change and then started going off in all these other esoteric directions. And yet... But he still kept, you know, he would use these sort of B books that were, that were you know, the, the Mellers, if you like, you know, thrillers. And he... He would and he would just extract these sort of jumping off points. That's what this is, this band of par. And and then you know you would have little d- dollops of of things that come from from that. But he's really interested in entirely other things. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I find that Godard's movies, the way that you get to know this very root reclusive kind of grumpy filmmaker is is through the work and, and how his sensibilities evolve, which is why 
This past week, I was so troubled by what I would say is Captain America syndrome for the sake of this conversation, which is taking something that seems like it could be sophisticated and hammering it into something much more familiar and kind of boring. In this case, it's Michelle Hazanavicius is making this movie about Godard's second marriage, and it, it's got uh, Louis Garrel set to play Godard and Stacey Martin set to play his wife. So, so the focus of this movie is Godard's marriage to Anne Wiazemski, who he worked with starting with La Chinois and continuing all the way through um, Weekend, you know, great period, uh, his second collaboration with a muse of sorts, both on screen and off, and it's based on her memoir. But I'm just, what, what, what troubles me about this is a few things. It's Michelle has an is doing a Godard backstory of sorts, and, and that feels kind of reductive. But also, I, I just imagine people seeing this movie who don't know who Godard is, and this is their entry point, and it shouldn't be their entry point. The movies that he made should be the entry point. Those faces, the world that he created, or the way that he dealt with society, is so specific to the filmmaking itself and and I just that that's something that I just it troubles me to no end is is the idea of movies that dumb down the way we see the world and and so I I am, I do feel a little bit like maybe I'm picking up some of the extra hate vibes because Captain America Civil War bums me out in general but there there's something about that just this idea of movies that simplify the way we see the world being something that that I think is maybe the biggest threat to film culture as a whole am I just am I just in a grumpy mood today or do you think maybe we're we're onto something here my guess is that there's going to be very few people of any sort that will be the slightest bit interested in that movie and you don't have anything to worry about <laughs> so we'll just keep ignoring it, and, and it'll uh, find it'll its go way away. To... <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I you never that's, know. That's I mean... really the way to you know. I mean, I, I, we can't. I, we can decry the movies that shouldn't be made. You know, we can. There are many of them. <laughs> there are too many of them. But um, in the end, the market will talk. So if I just ignore superhero movies, they won't just vanish, is basically what you're saying. No, that's not going to happen. That's not going to I mean, I think it'll be very interesting to see if all the superhero hype, you know, to, to borrow uh, the name of a website, uh, if, if, if all the superhero hype turns out not to represent the way that people... Because what happened with Superman versus Batman is that it opened enormously huge, and then it fell off incredibly dramatically and now it is perceived to be a real disappointment um whereas i'm curious to see if that happens to this one too that there is a kind of front-loaded anticipation on these pre-sold franchise movies but judging from how much people like it and how well the reviews have gone i have to assume it's going to play as well well let the reviews do what they do will continue to do what we do. But the nice thing is that while Captain America continues to dominate the box office, at least we have something to distract us from all of that hype, which is uh, the many, many different kinds of movies that we'll see at Cannes. And I guess the one kind of silver lining to all this that, that, that gives me some hope is that idea that there is a contrast to the, whatever's dominating the marketplace. There are many different kinds of movies that are out there, and we're going to be digging for those, looking for some great examples of things that we can write home about. I mean, the, the idea that you know, Cannes is really defined by 
these big movies that show up there is 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 sort of negated by the kind of neutrality of the red carpet when you really look at it because one day sure you'll have Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling on the red carpet for the nice guys and that'll do what it does the next day you'll have somebody like Marinade from uh, Germany you know, with her follow-up to everyone else, which I can't wait to see. And even though that's not a movie that's going to have the same kind of star wattage, for one short period of time, at least we get to live in this reality where those movies can have equal footing. So maybe that's a what's little great bit about it. That's what's great about it. Yeah. I love it, too. I can't yeah. wait. So See look at, on the closet. Exactly. Part. Looking ahead to, to next week, we'll have uh, lots of baguettes stacked on our desk and, and, and a huge lineup to dig through, and we'll try to be uh, filled with enough Nespresso to make our way through another one of these conversations. So until then, and safe travels as you make your way over to my neck of the woods, and then we'll head over to France. Woody Allen, here we come. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.